Welcome back everyone to the podcast series brought to you by the International Arbitration Group at Dentons. With more than 40 partners and 120 lawyers, our group is widely recognized globally, trusted by corporations, states, and high net worth individuals for their most challenging international arbitration matters. In our last episode, we introduced our second season for this podcast. Today, we want to expand upon one of the topics we introduced last time, climate change disputes. My name is Rachel Howie. I co-lead the arbitration group in Canada, and my practice is focused on international arbitration. And I'm James Langley. I'm the partner based in Denton's London office with a focus on international arbitration, both commercial and investor state. Joining us today is Ristar Depour, a partner based in Madrid, who's been heavily involved in the discussion around climate change disputes and international arbitration. Welcome, Ristard. Thank you very much, James. Now, as we record this today, most people will have seen the International Energy Agency's roadmap to net zero by 2050, the UN's IPCC reports on climate change, and of course, we're in the middle of COP26 in Glasgow. So climate change and its impact is highly topical for everyone. However, specifically for international arbitration and indeed users of international arbitration, what do you think are the key points to be aware of, Ristad? Well, I think the first point, James, is that the users of international arbitration, so companies and states, are in the midst of a momentous international and, let's face it, urgent economic transition. There's massive investment that is needed, an annual clean energy investment um, of $4 trillion, um, is needed by 2030. And so that's tripling what's already been invested. The oil majors, of course, are diversifying quickly and looking at repurposing facilities. And the International Energy Agency made clear that a successful transition will mean more, not less economic growth. And I think the users of international arbitration are increasingly aware of that. In fact, the economy could double in size under a net zero scenario. I think if, even if we look at um, the UK in the last 30 years, the economy has grown by nearly 80% while reducing emissions by more than 40 but this really concerns all jurisdictions. And part of the urgency in this transition is a swift resolution of disputes so as not to stifle the deployment of the necessary infrastructure and technologies. So I think from the point of view uh, of lawyers like ourselves, international arbitration practitioners, uh, we need to realize how we can play our part. And as we discussed before, I think part of that is mastering the types of contracts that are relevant and by knowing how to use international arbitration to resolve the dispute in the most efficient way for the parties and where possible, where permitted by the contract in line with Paris Agreement goals. And the need of, there's a need, of course, to have an eye on enforcement, which could potentially be years down the road in some cases, since soft law is quickly becoming hard law. And so for our client's own interest to avoid any public policy arguments, but I'll explain that um, maybe in more detail later. Uh, at this point, I suppose, to mention that commercial disputes um, are going to be very um, common in this field arising from mitigation and adaptation projects, and of course, investor state claims also arising out of those projects and involving claims by investors or also by states. So I'm based in Madrid, and we've all seen the numerous arbitrations against Spain but also on the other side, Costa Rica in an arbitration uh, against David Avin, 
Roddick state counterclaim in relation to environmental matters. And if we look at the new Dutch BIT, it provides for the obligation of investors to comply with domestic environmental law. So really, um, this is an area which is really going to take off, I think, in the future. And it's obvious there's, there's quite a lot in the area to un unpack. So looking first at international arbitration as a means of resolving climate change disputes. We've spoken about the benefits of international arbitration for larger industry disputes in the past. Is this the case in the specific context of resolving commercial disputes in the renewable sector? I think it completely is, Rachel. Um, these projects typically involve obviously international project finance, new technologies, and inhospitable environments. And all of that, of course, means risk. But leaving the investment issue to one side, this can lead to the, just the type of dispute where international arbitration has already demonstrated its value added. So if we take uh, construction disputes, for example, or the, uh, the construction of a wind farm, obviously there will be transport contracts, there'll be the EPC contract typically for single point responsibility, and increasingly down the line, there might be decommissioning contracts because decommissioning was often not addressed in the past, um, not for oil and gas facilities, and sometimes also not for um, renewables facilities. If we move further along the chain, there are um, power purchase agreements, which are becoming increasingly common to offtake the electricity. And there's a need for various uh, expertise on the decision makers and on the lawyer's part here. If we take, for example, some of the types of disagreements that might arise under a common PPA, a disagreement about the termination amount, or a disagreement of a party with what the expert determined. Usually in these agreements, the expert is to determine, for example, the commercial operation date. So when the first volume of electrical power was injected into the grid where the parties for some for whatever reason cannot determine that, there might be changes in the certification system. So a replacement of the guarantees of origin, which are essentially the green stamp um, that you get when electricity is produced from these facilities, well, if that's changed to an alternative system of certification and the expert determination doesn't settle the matter, it goes to arbitration. So again, highlighting the need for expertise in this area. And finally, I think this is quite timely to discuss this in the context of what's happening in Glasgow at the moment, offset contracts. And so in the past, ERPAs or emission reduction purchase agreements have been quite common. And the future of these contracts largely depends on what is happening in uh, the rooms of Glasgow right now regarding Article 6 of the Paris Agreement, which is known, of course, as the markets provision. And, and then on that concept of, of change and, of course, the involvement of states, moving to the second issue of investor state disputes, are we seeing these arise in relation to climate change? And if not, where do you expect they may arise? And, and another uh, question I had on that front is, are there any trans or directional shifts emerging on this front? Um, has this started to form the basis for counterclaims in the way that other environmentals have in recent years? And, and as you just mentioned in, in the other case you were discussing. Yeah, an, an interesting question, Rachel, and um, I suppose a necessarily broad one. Um, we are definitely increasingly seeing these types of disputes. And if we look at recent developments, we can see that the possibility of an increase is very clear. Let's take the, the G20 agreement that we had very recently to put an end to the provision of international public finance for new unabated coal power generation um, foreign, like abroad by the end of this year. That may be a forerunner of further restrictions with domestic effect, which could give rise to investment claims. And I know that in the past 24 hours, there have been reports of an agreement 
of more than 40 developed countries to phase out or stop investing in new coal-fired power plants domestically and internationally. And of course, the devil will be in the detail as to how litigious all of this can be. But if we're to look at what's happened in the Netherlands, I think we, we can predict some disputes here. Um, by that, I'm referring to RWE and Uniper's claims, um, or at least declared claims, um, under the Energy Charter Treaty against the Netherlands for the phasing out of coal in that country. Um, speaking to a Canadian, and so mining is necessarily important. Um, the market size of critical metals, like cobalt and manganese, is due to increase almost sevenfold, and that's in a net zero scenario. And arbitration is preferred method, of course, for resolving mining disputes, which involve lots of parties and where confidentiality can be very important. And also looking across the water to uh, Mexico, there's of course the well-known proposal to overhaul Mexico's energy sector through constitutional changes. And I think that can generate uh, an unprecedented wave of arbitrations against Mexico because these reforms would effectively cancel private generation and sales contracts as well as permits. They might be renegotiated with a public utility, but that public utility will essentially be a gatekeeper uh, and the set of terms for these contracts that it chooses to renegotiate. So very controversial changes being foreseen in Mexico. Thanks, Chris Darden. Um, I think given the remaining time, perhaps moving to a final topic, uh, I think you mentioned at the start using international arbitration to resolve disputes in the most efficient way for the parties and in line with the Paris Agreement goals where possible. Um, can you give us a sense of, of what sort of thing that would involve? Um, sure, James. I think it, it starts off with um, people like ourselves choosing counsel um, with the requisite expertise, but also um, relying on us then to choose arbitrators with the requisite expertise. And I think that involves sectoral expertise, knowledge of the regulations, and, and technical ability to, to get to grips with these issues. Also knowing when and how to use procedural tools like emergency arbitration, um, case management conferences, for example, when to choose bifurcation of a dispute if it involves particularly um, controversial or technical climate change related issues, how to use joint expert reports for the efficient resolution of disputes. All of these questions seem quite simple, but may not be in the context of a climate change related dispute. And I think, from the get-go, advising at the start of drafting a contract on the dispute resolution clause, including the applicable law provision. So for example, how is the escalated dispute resolution provision to be drafted? Um, what is the mix going to be between, for example, expert determination and arbitration, examining the wisdom of taking account of relevant international norms, as I mentioned before, in the interest of achieving a more watertight award at the end of the dispute. And so not just relying on one national law. And maybe I think being aware of what is possible in the courts is also important in advising clients in climate change disputes. Looking towards the future, for example, I think a thorough knowledge of issues like jurisdiction, standing and redressability is important to be able to advise clients as to how arbitration may sometimes be a better fit than the court or also the likelihood of state counterclaims based on the likely success or failure of civil society-led legal court actions against companies. Thanks for that, Ristad. And of course, we are right in the middle of uh, COP26, sitting here in, in London, looking up towards Glasgow and, and wondering um, 
how that's going to pan out. Do you have any any thoughts about um, about where that where that might be heading? Um, well, that really is the crystal ball question, James. Um, but I definitely think um, finance is going to be a huge question, and so really garnering this 100 billion that um, has been sought for the past number of years, but has not been provided. And also I think carbon markets. So what is to happen in relation to article six and who's going to take over, what sort of mechanism will replace the clean development mechanism, which is so important internationally as a market mechanism and how carbon leakage, I think, will be avoided is going to be a, a really tricky question to address, but one that no doubt all our delegations are grappling with. And maybe something we'll return to once we've got some more answers. Thank you very much indeed. Um, and thank you very much to the uh, listeners for joining us. Our next session will be posted in a few weeks time. Denton's is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Please see dentons.com for legal notices.